Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Damn Parenting, your English-speaking parenting podcast from Amsterdam. And as always, we are your hosts, Maren and Eva. And today's episode, we will be starting our Verloskundiges series. We will, over the next couple of months, will showcase different Verloskundige. And if you don't know this word and haven't heard this word yet, this means midwife. And we will showcase different midwives and Verloskundige all over Amsterdam so you can get a little glimpse into their work and their specialties. And we thought... The best way to kick off the series actually is to talk to a Verloskundige who can tell us more about the profession and especially about the education that every midwife in the Netherlands has to go through. What are the specific requirements to get into this whole education program because you cannot just sign up for it. And then what are the topics that are taught and what is the overall education going forward through the whole course and then also what is then the education that you need to maintain and need to carry on then going further when you're already a working midwife. We are so happy to have Chandel join us for this. She's actually doing her master's degree in midwifery and she will tell us a little bit more about that and hopefully this will be as educational as it was for Eva and me. Hopefully a lot of questions that you might have about this topic will be cleared up after this and as I said we will then go coming in the next couple of months interviewing more Verloskundige more specifically about their practice and about the services they offer so you can get a more holistic view on this whole topic but we thought to kick this series off let's start with the basics and let's dive straight into the interview. Here we are. We are going to be talking to Chandel, who is currently actually doing a master's. So she's even further than we were actually even looking for when it comes to training. But Chandel is a Verloskunde herself and she is now doing her master's. So she's actually going to speak to us about the educational side of Verloskunde. So first off, welcome Chandel. Do you want to give us a bit of your backstory and how you became a Verloskunde and what you're doing now? Yes. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So my name is Chandel and I've been a midwife now for almost six years so coming january 25th it will be six years since i took the oath to become a midwife and i've been working as a midwife ever since in amsterdam first year i did some work here and there so i've had some experience of Vejua, which is a region like in the middle of the netherlands and i've went to almere and Dunhelder. and then after a couple of months i settled in amsterdam which is also the city i grew up in so i was really happy and i never actually wanted to become a midwife until the last year of high school. So I always wanted to be a, a forensic detective. So I watched a bit too much CSI probably. And then eventually it uh, sort of went to wanting to become a gynecologist because I watched too much Grace Anatomy. And then I had to, or I had to, I was uh, volunteering actually in Argentina and I tagged along with doctors and in hospitals in the mornings. And at a certain time, I ended up on the maternity ward and that's where everything clicked. And I was like, yes, this is what I need to do. And that's when I looked up everything I could about midwifery in the Netherlands and how I could get in and I registered and luckily I was also voted in directly four academies in the Netherlands and each have a specific amount of students they uh, let in each year 
So it's a whole selection process that you need to go through. And there are some students that go for two or three years of trying to get in. Some eventually get in, but there are also students that just never get in and end up doing something else. Wow, so it sounds like quite a harsh process. And this is hopefully addressing already everyone out there who's still skeptical about the professionalism and the education that midwives have to go through. You, you can't even just decide to become one, as I hear now. No. And yeah, what I wanted to say earlier, I think this is very sweet. Your story goes from, I want to work with dead people, but actually I'm <laughs> with babies. I never looked at it that way, but yes. <laughs> It's all very sensational, though. So also for the detective, it's very exciting, you know? It's also the fact you're inspired by TV shows. True, yeah. <laughs> and the fun thing is, I remember me watching a midwifery show when I was, I mean, maybe eight or seven, and it was on TV, I remember. And I really loved those shows. And I also loved the One Born Every Minute on TLC, you know? But it never clicked as something that I really wanted to do until that day. Argentina. Callings, they come to you, right? Yeah. You don't even have them. But then, like you said, you see this and you're like, that's my yeah. destiny. That's it. And you can't look for them, right? They just, they come like a butterfly. They just come to you. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So one question. Yeah. Can you translate Verlos Kundacha? Because it's like Ver and Los and Kundacha to me. Or is it just midwife? Yeah, I would say so. The, the older term for Verlos Kundacha is Frutfrau actually, which means fruit, which is wise, and then Frau is woman, so wise woman, which is a bit the same if you look at the French word, sage-femme, which is also wise woman. Midwife is with woman, of course, so there are some midwives that do tend to call themselves fruitfrau still in the Netherlands, and I think the what made it change to Verloskundige is when it become, became a little bit more scientific as well, mm -hmm. and that's when it changed to Verloskundige. Is could a doctor or something like that, or is that like science, or is, I'm trying to translate it literally? Yeah, so I think for Los is a meaning to deliver, So and Gundach is having the ability to, so the ability to deliver, I guess. One of the main reasons we're here is, can you actually then tell us, since you were luckily to get voted in, can you now actually describe to us the actual education process that you went through, how long it took, what were your syllables, how did it look like? And you did mention there's four different schools. If you could also explain if there's a difference or why would there be four different schools? So there are four different schools, I think, in the outskirts or in like the, the four corners of the Netherlands. So we've got Amsterdam and Groningen, and then you've got Rotterdam and Maastricht. So it's really like the four corners of uh, the Netherlands. And in terms of differences, I think the differences is really in terms of how many people they accept and a bit of like the educational system itself. So I was, um, I did the school in or the academy in Maastricht and they follow a certain educational model, which is, I think, problem-oriented education. Uh, so it's a certain form of education where you sit in groups and you do more group assignments, work together, and it's a bit more independent, whereas, for example, Amsterdam, Groningen, and I think Rotterdam as well, have more like a classical educational system where you go to school, you follow classes, you do your own study time, and you take your exams. So it's more what do you prefer? But in terms of education about midwifery, 
in the end of the four years, whether you've been to Amsterdam or Groningen or Maastricht, you have the same level when you graduate. For example, I grew up in Amsterdam. I chose to go to Maastricht because I wanted to live on my own. <laughs> and I wanted to study and have a feel for like the... Maastricht is really a, a study city or a student city. So I really wanted to have that experience. But there are also students who really want to experience the capital, for example, and they go to Amsterdam. So that would be a reason why you would choose uh, one of the four. And in terms of like selection process, so Amsterdam and Maastricht have the, the biggest numbers of students they let in. So both of them currently have 68 students per year that they allow and Groningen 56 and Rotterdam it's 65. Just look these up. So these are very current. It's very small numbers. Yes. If you think of studying and education classes and like hundreds of people, but yeah. that's such a small number. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And that's not even 250. No, exactly. Because I remember in my year, it was 60 that were let in. But I remember it was a group of, I think, 300 or 350 students that started the selection process. So it is numbered down quite a lot. Yeah. What are the factors if you, what's the decision if you get in or not? Do you have to have qualifications already? Or do they look at your, like your resume or... No, so there's education, of course, that you have, that you need to have. So you have to have a minimal of a half a diploma with the three subjects, physics, mathematics, and biology. And otherwise you need to have those as well. Or you need to have finished at least the first year of a HABIO or a university level study. And that is the um, entry selection for the first round of selection process and it's two selection rounds so the first selection round and i just quickly check this with the student that we have currently in the practice if it's still the same or not it's still the same uh, as when i did the selection process so the first round you get sent a a few uh, chapters of a biology book and you just need to study it and you get tested on it and you need to pass for at least i think 60 or 70 percent and that that is part one of selection round one. And then you go into a motivational test. So some motivational questions. You need to think about what are the qualities a midwife should have and how does it show in you? And can you provide us with examples? And you need to do a psychological test. You know, the test where you, the questions always, I think they are always so weird. I get adrenaline when I go into a roller coaster, for example. And then four questions, it's somewhat the same question and you need to answer it again. So that kind of psychological test. And then, uh, yeah, that's selection round one. Then a few are filtered down and then you go for selection round two. And that is a group assignment and then a reflection assignment. And then you go into four like mini interviews with teachers um, a fellow student and I remember in my year I don't I don't know if that's the same still but in my year it was a role play so I had to pretend I was the midwife and I had a client who was going through a miscarriage and they wanted to see how you would respond in terms of I guess empathy or sympathy yeah and then the 60 were selected Wow, yeah. I am blown away. <laughs> this is, whoa, I had no idea. And how nice is it that education and knowledge is one side, but it seems to be, is your personality a fit for this, for this Career. job? 
Yeah. Yeah. For this career, like, where do you have that? Usually it's, yeah. you have the criteria. Did you go to school? Did you have this degree? Yep. Here you can take the course, whatever you're on your own. But this I'm impressed. Also very important, you know, as a midwife, yeah. I mean, it's such an intimate event in someone's yeah. life unique who is social who has some sympathy and empathy and you know you can relate to so you don't want it's a random person yeah yeah who can take a medical exam right exactly and so then when you were accepted then tell us about how long it took and what the layout was yeah so it's four years for all academies it's four years of studying and i think it's about 50 50 so 50 percent theory and 50 percent internships and tagging along with midwifery practices. So, and I think this is also where the difference is in ter- in the academies, because I remember in Maastricht, it was the first year was all about physiology. So ranging from preconception to postpartum, everything that is healthy, the way it should be is what was taught in the first year. And then in my second year, I learned everything about the pathology. So everything about the diseases, about what could go wrong ranging from preconception to postpartum. Whereas I think in Amsterdam, it was different. You learned everything about preconception, everything about pregnancy, ranging from physiology to pathology in maybe one or two semesters. So those are the slight differences. But so four years, and in the first two years, you've got a couple of weeks of of internship maybe, but it's mostly theory and in the books, making assignments, doing your exams. And then in the third and fourth year, then it's uh, longer periods uh, where you do your internships and then you go to your practices. And because that's really how you can learn the job, of course. And it's also very important because you need to have certain requirements before you are allowed to graduate. And those requirements you can only get through your internships. So I remember that when I graduated, I needed to have at least 350 prenatal checkups uh, that I did independently, for example. I needed to have done at least 350 postnatal visits. I needed to have done at least 60 births, very important as well. 60 Six zero. Six zero. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And if you do not reach that number uh, at the end of the four years, you keep on going. You cannot graduate. So even though maybe you finished all your exams, all your assignments, everything is ticked off. If you haven't ticked off those numbers, you keep on going. Numbers that are determined by like the Department of Education, I guess, or of health, but it's really higher up that those numbers are determined. It's not different for the academies. It's the same for all students. Okay. So once you become qualified, yeah, what level would you be at then in your education? Is this like a bachelor's degree then of midwifery? Yeah, a bachelor of science you have. Bachelor of science. And this is what is required to become a midwife in any practice in the Netherlands? Yeah. And you are actually now doing a master's. I am. Yeah. Do you want to explain to us about what the options of master's are? Yeah. So there are, I think, two, well, there are more master's that you could do, but two more specified for midwifery. The one that I'm doing is very new. So I'm actually in the first year, just started this year, this master's degree, which is very exciting. And it's more like advanced midwifery preparing you for if you would like, for example, to go into a PhD trajectory, or if you want to go more into the management functions care. So not necessarily 
more or advanced techniques as a midwife, but more career-wise, if you want to go beyond the private practice, then a master's degree would be something that you could do. And then there's another master's degree, which prepares you to become a physician assistant. And this is more specified for the clinical midwives working in hospital. And there are also some hospitals that really require midwives working there to have this master's degree. And that master gives you some more advanced skills, really medical skills, but it also has a focus on scientific research as well. And that is something you would use more in hospital. Yeah, so for the general philosopher or midwife out there, they will have a bachelor's because unless you want to go to a hospital, then that's the only time you'd really... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Most of us like being a midwife, so don't really necessarily go for a master's degree, but you do need to keep on learning as a midwife. And that is also something that is determined by law that we need to follow certain educational chairs, for example, we need to have a certain amount of points after five years or every five years, you need to get about 50 or 60 points. And you get those points by going to symposia or going to lectures or going to do like extracurricular or extra how would you say that? Um, Extracurriculum activities. They just, okay. So yeah, it's, that's actually very similar to a doctor in general around the world. There's always an ongoing yeah, education. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the, the people who train at the, the training centers, do they also have to have a master's or are they midwives or who are the trainers there? Yeah. So there are, most of them are midwives. But to be able to teach at a, a Habio uh, study, you need to have a master's degree as well. So there are some that, for example, I think one or two of the fellow students now in my master's degree also teach at the at one of the academies and they do this master so they can continue to work there. Mm -hmm. um, but there are also uh, teachers that go into a master of public health, for example, or a master of teaching, just to get that master of science degree to be oh. able to teach at the, one of the academies. But there are also communication specialists, for example, that train us in communication skills, colleges, epidemiologists who focus more on the scientific part, teaching us that mostly midwives. Very um, holistic from what you yeah. just thrown in there. It's very holistic. I I thought it's medical and then it happens to be that it draws the right people by itself and the selection process is pretty harsh but then the the training is very holistic you see you have psychologists you have this communication teaching and not just this is the physiology of a birth these are the complications you're done goodbye yeah. go on your way but that's really great yeah and I remember when I was doing my training, you know, we were taught by so many teachers. So gynecologists came around to uh, give us a course or pediatricians, even other midwives, of course, psychologists, communication experts, just to give us that really all around and knowledge that you need as a midwife, because as a midwife, you know a lot from a lot of specialties and know when you should refer to a specialist, but you need to be taught. This is actually quite a specific to the Netherlands, when we look at midwives from most of our listeners are going to be international families. So yeah. do you believe that this is a very different subset of midwifery compared to any other country in the world? I do think so. Yeah. If I compare it, for example, to I think Belgium and Germany are quite close to the Netherlands. 
I don't know the length of schooling though in Germany, but I know in Belgium it's three years. And I know a lot of students that, for example, do not get through the selection process in the Netherlands end up doing the course in Belgium. But then it is quite difficult for the Belgium students or the Belgium midwives to end up working in the Netherlands uh, eventually because are trained to eventually become a very independent professional. Whereas in Belgium, you almost always end up working under supervision of a gynecologist. And I think that's where the difference lies mm -hmm. in a lot of midwifery educational systems that is always under supervision of the gynecologist. They are the responsible one at the end. Whereas here, we are responsible until we transfer care to the medical part or the gynecologist in this case, or pediatrician. But we work very independently, we make our own decisions, and that's what we are trained for eventually. Yeah, I know in other countries or some other countries, you are trained to become a nurse and then maybe you do one or two years of a subspecialty and then you're a nurse midwife, which is very different. You do learn some skills, but it's very different than how we are trained as, as midwives because you don't need to be a nurse. I went straight out of high school to become a midwife. So what kind of services do the Velaskundere practices offer? So we're actually from preconception till six weeks postpartum. You can register or you can call us for a preconception consultation if you want to know what you could change in your lifestyle or in your health to have a good solid foundation and start to your pregnancy. Also, if you already been pregnant and you want to go for a second child, for example, but maybe your delivery didn't really go that well, or you have some questions about how it went last time and you feel you need to have those questions out there or answered before you start your second pregnancy or third pregnancy could also be a reason to go for a preconception consultation, of course. So that is something that you could apply for or register at the practice. And then anything from very early stages of pregnancy, so from about five, six weeks, is often the first time that someone registers at the practice, not necessarily when we really first see someone at the practice, which is usually at around seven or eight weeks of pregnancy, but then ranging all the way to birth, postpartum, the first week postpartum, and then eventually the last checkup, which is always the six weeks postpartum checkup. And that's really where we end it. And then my practice also has a focus on contraception. So often after the six weeks postpartum checkup, I sometimes see some clients back again. But we've also got actually young women, maybe 20 or 21, you know, never yeah. been pregnant before and don't have a wish, but do find the midwife for that contraceptive care. And they find it to be a bit more accessible and also friendlier with the mm. midwife, get an IUD placed and with their GP or with the doctor. Especially now that we know about the training and about the human aspect of the training, I can totally see why someone being younger or not so experienced or maybe not so sure can yeah, yeah feel more welcome in this space. And it's a great way for us midwives to sometimes give some information as well about mm -hmm. the fertile years, but maybe also about, hey, if you want to become pregnant, do keep this in mind, for example, or the folic acid, or, you know, remember that we've got a preconception uh, consultation that we can offer you if you are ready to get that IUD out, for example. So it's a great way to have that full on care for a fertile woman. Something just popped into my head there about when you're talking about that. So the question that I was thinking of was for anyone listening and they're pregnant 
and they're like, okay, I've got to sign up to the Velascondia. What are they to expect? Is there a specific guideline that it's like you have the first meeting on this week, the second meeting on this week, the scan on this week, or is there an actual specific process that is followed? Yeah, I think for all practices in the Netherlands, it's the same. So whether you would have the care in Amsterdam or in Den Helder or in the Betuwe, we all follow somewhat the same schedule in terms of pregnancy. So we all start with a intake, which in most practices, is at least half an hour to an hour, but mostly or averagely an hour where we assess your general health. You've maybe already given birth. How did the first pregnancies go, for example? And that's when we determine what kind of care pathway we should follow with you. So do we need to do extra ultrasounds? Do we need to have a consultation with a gynecologist? Are you at your right spot with a midwife or is it maybe better for you to have the entire pregnancy care in hospital for example that could also sometimes be the conclusion of an intake and that's when we do a referral so that is the purpose of that intake and then usually the first few appointments are about every month or every four weeks let's say and then from about 24 weeks onwards it's every three weeks and then bi-weekly and then weekly and then towards the end, sometimes every other day or sometimes every day. And I think different practices, some practices focus on, for example, more time during a checkup. So they have a standard of 30 minutes every checkup. Uh, but I think the standard time for uh, like a general practice in the Netherlands is about 15 minutes, unless it's a special appointment, for example, to discuss your birth plan wishes or the intake or been wanting to address something, for example, and then it could be that half an hour is planned in for you. Good to hear. That's it's a great way to explain it. Like, you know, you meet here and then it's four weeks and it's three weeks and it's two weeks and it's one week, then it's silly. So it's good to know. Yeah. And then it also gives you the opportunity to um, meet all the midwives because you never know who you're going to meet, who's going to be there on the big day. Exactly. And I think most of the practices in the lands are group practices, so with at least three midwives. And in that case, it is very wise to meet all the midwives, just so you have a familiar face when you give birth. But you could also choose, for example, a duo practice or a caseload practice or a caseload midwife in this case, where you really decide you just want one person for the entire process. There aren't that many Sometimes people ask us during the intake, for example, and we don't feel a threshold to then refer to a caseload midwife if that's what someone needs. And all midwives are trained, I guess, in all the different birth places, right? So everyone's trained in home birth, everyone's trained in hospital, everyone's trained in the birthing dentist. So it's not like, oh, this midwife is more for home birth, this is more for this. So they all have the same education, I guess. Yeah, they all have the same. And so what I said earlier about the requirements, so it's 60 births, but from those 60, at least 30 need to have taken place in a midwifery setting, whether that mm -hmm. is home in a birth center or in a hospital setting, for example, but without a medical transfer. And mm -hmm. then the other 30 could be births that were in a medical setting, for example, but 30 need to be very un... un Medicated. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. At least 10 need to have taken place at home. Do you actually know the percentage of births, maybe from your practice or in Amsterdam in general? I don't know what percentage of births are actually at home or birthing centers or hospitals or on their way to wherever they were aiming to go to. 
Well, hopefully not that many on their way to. <laughs> In the six years, I am proud to say I've just had it once and I hope to keep it at just that one. But I, I look them up for you. So it's a 26.8% are of the births are guided by a midwife working in a practice. And then we've got 32.5% by a midwife in hospital. And then the rest of them, so the 38 that is left, those are the births that are guided by a gynecologist, for example. So about 60%, well, a big number of 60% is a midwife, whether it's in the in the practice or working in hospital. And then from the midwives working in a practice, we've got 13.1% that is a home birth, which I find personally a bit disappointing. We would compare it to years back when I think when I started my training, it was, I think it was about 18 or 20%. So it was quite high. So I'm a bit sad that I can, that I'm seeing the number drop. But still, if I would compare it to the UK, for example, or New Zealand, we've got quite a good percentage. Germany. You don't need to go so far. <laughs> Just go two hours. I can tell you the number is going to drop significantly. Yeah. yeah. By any chance, would you actually know what is the most common choice for international families? I would say hospital. That would be the preference. And I think what is very interesting, and because I do work with a lot of international families in the practice that I work in, and what I always find very interesting is that most of them or almost all of them say during the intake already, I want to give birth in a hospital, just so you know, because I know that you guys are from the home birth, <laughs> but I want to give birth in a hospital. I'm like, yes, yes, that's possible. Very well. And then once they start to get to know the midwife and get some more information about sometimes also our schooling, because I, in my information session about labor and birth, that is the English speaking course and focused on the international families. I always give some information about our schooling. And then often you see them change a bit saying, mm, maybe I do want a home birth or mm, maybe I do want a birth uh, center, for example. And then there are some slight changes towards a more physiological patient, maybe than the hospital, or at least more faith in the midwife, let's say. And that is always nice to see that change. The opposite. I said, I want a home birth. Just, just so you know. <laughs> I don't want to go. There are small amount of women that, yeah, that do say from the start, I want a home birth, and then I'm always very surprised, but limited. I was, I was surprised about myself too. <laughs> yeah, we can all dream, but it's a, every individual <laughs> choice, right? Definitely. But that's the beauty of giving birth here. You have the choice in so many countries you do not have the choice or you only have the choice if you throw a lot of money at it or if you throw a lot of other things on it. So this is, I guess this is great. Everyone has the choice here and there's also enough resources to facilitate all the choices because yeah. it's not a discussion at the midwife if you say you want to give a home birth and it, oh no sorry booked up for the month we can't give it home births anymore or yeah and same with the hospital like they, they're not going to say oh booked up yep you gotta go stay home see ya so that's the i think that's great that we have the choice here and everyone can get or can voice their wish and then see what it turns out to. But the opportunity for that is here. And that's great. And I think that's the beauty of the system as well that we yeah. work. Eventually, what I always say is you will birth best where you will feel best and where you can relax. For yeah. some, 
you relax the best with your own stuff around you and especially not in a hospital setting you know some people might have negative experiences in hospital and they just get really anxious just by passing in the hallway uh, of a hospital or walking through the hallway of a hospital but there are also women who just instantly feel relaxed when they see all the wires and hear all the beeps around them you know and well if that's what you uh, where you feel relaxed then that's where you will birth best and i think for midwives we like to guide you through that whole process of birth and you know it really doesn't matter to us where that is hopefully though not on the road <laughs> that is something that we do not prefer but if it's at home or in the garden or in a hospital or in a birth center yeah go for it we'll be there for you yeah and with you so when we're talking on the road yeah <laughs> are you planning um, something here no 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 <laughs> No, I was just, all your education. I got all the information. I'm trying to fit. Yeah, because my I ended up having to be induced because I went over, and that'll be a, another story for another episode. But it was always in my mind. Okay, I hit 40 weeks, and oh, I start to feel contractions, and then I think it there was like you know when you have this set number of contractions, then you ring the midwife, and when it hits another set, that's when the midwife comes to you. But I was always kind of like, if I'm not going to give birth at home, if for example I'm going to give birth in a hospital or a Baval Centrum. Do we take an Uber? Are Uber open to us climbing in there? <laughs> Do we have a cram packet with us? Like, what is the, the the steps, as it were, that came to us? Delivering on the road, you mean? No, no, no. No, I just mean like oh. to for transferal. It's a case of like this, I think, is always in everyone's mind is kind of like, how do I get there? Like, I'm going to have to call an Uber because, you know, I don't want to ring someone on a phone and have to explain to them in English and broken Dutch. Like, hey, guys, like we're, we're having to go here. And it's like, when do we call? When what's what is that moment that we say, hey, now we got to call? Generally speaking, when you go to hospital, either with us or the hospital lets you come in, is when you are leaving that latent phase behind you. So the phase where the contractions are maybe every eight to 10 minutes and going to an active phase of labor where you would expect a baby to arrive within eight to 10 hours. And that's often where the contractions are about every three to four minutes, maybe three to five minutes with that contraction lasting about a minute. For a first baby, I have to add, because for a second baby, it is very different. For a second baby, I generally give the advice to call when the contractions are every five minutes apart, but I often give the woman the choice to call me whenever she thinks you need to come or I think this is it because with the second baby it can go so fast and often the ones that deliver on the road are second or third babies barely a first baby just because it goes very quick I'm now thinking we need yeah. to interview those taxi drivers who who are like yeah and then this this became the Baval Centrum taxi <laughs> Yeah, you would have some nice stories. Yeah. I think there's just one or two stories of a taxi driver really not wanting to take a woman having contractions along or bring them to hospital, but probably because he or she, well, generally he had an experience before with a delivering woman and was just like, no, not again. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> not doing that one again. <laughs> I, I do think he called a colleague of him. And just because only once yeah only once but generally speaking they all take you along and sometimes they you know they've experienced it with their own wives or partners and are always very kind i have to say oh are you okay 
and going over the bumps quite uh, softly. They have some experience at taxi drivers. I hope that's a little comforting to anyone listening now. So you're six years in, you've now started your master's, but you were talking about every five years, I think it was, there was a certain requirement of uh, upkeep of education. What is the professional development or on continuing education that is required? Yeah, so I think a big percentage of the midwives working in the Netherlands are also registered in, in like a quality register. This is something that you could also find on the websites of midwives. Uh, of, of the practices. They often have that label or that sticker saying that all midwives are registered at the quality register. And what that means is that in a time span of five years, you need to collect about 60 points and it's 60 points divided into four categories. Category one is really medical expertise. So for example, you would have another training about resuscitation or about stitching, for example, just to be aware of the newest updates, the newest knowledge around those medical skills. And then the second category is more professional development, so more personal development. So that means thinking about how you perform your job and reflecting on it. What could I do uh, improve on, for example? Could I do better? What are some things that I'm doing now, but is shown by science that is not really the way it should, for example, and you would discuss it with a group of colleagues and maybe write a report on it as well. And then the third category is, I think, more regional. So do you partake in activities with the hospital, with Krams, or with uh, getting things organized in your region, for example? Or are you educating students? Do you take them along on internships, for example? And those four categories have a certain amount of points that you need to collect in those five years. And at the end of the five years, the register looks if you've achieve those 60 points or if you maybe even went over if you have those 60 points and then you go on for another five years or for the next five years and you go again so it's a lifelong learning and if you didn't then you go out of the register that's a good way yeah. to identify yeah those who are in continuous education have you noticed there is an evolution in midwifery education like, has there been any changes with the updates of the healthcare system or technology or, yeah, as you say, like new sciences where people were talking there where you say, yeah, you write a paper as well. Do you notice that in education as well with the every five years? Definitely. You know, there are some things that I was taught 10 years ago that really does not apply anymore. And I remember, for example, I remember when I was in my second year and I did an internship in a hospital and I was taught, I was only in my second year, but I was really taught delayed cord clamping. So you only cut the umbilical cord once it stopped pulsating. And I remember that I was tagging along with some doctors and they were like, no, you need to cut it immediately. And what is this? And I was like, no, this is what I was taught at school. And I really had to show them the evidence that this was the newest updates in the medical field about delayed cord clamping. And even now, you know, I think it's really fun to have students at the practice because you get those newest updates. And sometimes they let you reflect on your own work and on your own skills. And sometimes it's like, yeah, you did it like this. That's not how we're taught. And I was like, okay, so how are you taught now? So also having students in your practice is a really good way to keep on learning and being aware of those newest updates. And I think, you know, but I think that applies to all medical specialties, you know, 
every few years there's a new update on a guideline or a protocol and the newest evidence and newest articles are published and things are updated and so that's the same with midwifery yeah and i think that's where the midwifery academies have evolved uh, quite a bit that science or like the evidence-based medicine has played a bigger role over the years so i know that the students now are really focused on evidence on having journal clubs on going into scientific articles and dissecting them and eventually also your end product of the four years is a scientific article that you have to have written yourself yeah so nice that you say this because we've just come from another interview and we had the same discussion of the beauty of having the full spectrum working with people who are super experienced having 10 15 20 years of experience but then also the chance and the opportunity of having someone who's fresh out of school or still in school and they come with the newest stuff and then that's when you start really getting it all together and provide the full picture care that you can give. That's really nice that you also can see and bring this message out how great this is to learn from the students and not just be, oh, yeah, you're a student. Let me show you how it's done, right? I mean, in some cases, you can't say that, but then also your openness, like, oh, okay, oh, cool, let me learn. Oh, can you explain why? And then you can adjust your own practice. Yeah. I think that's also a plus with a group practice, especially if it's it ranges in terms of experience for midwives. I know that's the case in, in the practice that I work in. You know, we've got very experienced midwives where you can come with a complaint and then the answer is a very simple thing, for example. But I know that one of my younger colleagues sometimes advises a certain Instagram account, for example, which is very interesting. So you can get some knowledge from all the midwives and make it um, make it special to you. So speaking of Instagram and the likes, trends, are there actually <laughs> any notable trends or innovations that you're noticing in midwifery practice or education? Midwifery education, really, or... In in either, like in the practice, for example, you spoke about delays for clamping. Yeah, how you were speaking about that in your second year to the doctors. And so that's not exactly something new, but is there something happening now that people are very much, you know, moving towards and wanting to do? Yes, the trend right now is really wanting it very natural, very hands-off, very, not necessarily a home birth straight away. That sounds as though a home birth is always very holistic and natural, which doesn't need to. But delayed cord clamping, uh, not wanting too many internal exams, for example, um, having that skin-to-skin -skin for at least an hour. I think people are more aware about the benefits of all those things. What we experience with that, though, is a lot of those things are put in, in a birth plan, but it's actually at least in the Netherlands, almost all of it is standard care, where you go to a midwife or to a gynecologist, you will have that skin to skin for at least an hour and the delayed cord clamping. So you don't need, really necessarily need to put it in a birth plan, I'd say. So that is something that, for example, the region now is really working on a sort of a standard birth plan of saying this is the standard care that you can expect when you deliver here in this hospital or in this region what are your other wishes or what are some other things that we need to do because now i think a birth plan is a real trend but birth plans of maybe three or four or five pages where maybe half of it is standard care 
and I'm just skipping through. There are some few wishes that I write down, for example, that I'm like, okay, yeah, this is something I need to remember when you give birth. But most of it is standard care. And I think the birth plan and the holistic or the natural movement really came from America, where birth is more medicalized, you know, and we do see that trend happening in uh, the Netherlands as well, that we more and more is medicalized, uh, but I think not as severe as you would expect it in America. And the natural birth movement is a response to that medicalization. Yeah, I think people are sometimes unaware that it is quite different and that in the Netherlands, birth is looked at as something natural, physiological, and not something, it's not a disease, it's not a, there's nothing wrong with you and not a pathological thing questions when you when when you talked about this so one would be coming back to the whole social media instagram and not just professionalists educating themselves on social media but also the clients do you feel that a lot of clients come they oh i've read this and i've read this and i've heard this and this is the information and do you think this is often information that is correct and helpful or you feel like yes this is social media and this is coming from who is this even coming from and now you're speaking with a medical profession so let's put this into place do you see this happening or especially now that you've been a midwife for six years and the social media has really like picked up i'd say probably in the last three years really in this field what is your experience with that i think social media has a huge huge role in the clients that i see right now and it's difficult because often they are not specialists or somewhat a specialist but they interpret some scientific findings in a different way and then portray it as being the truth and sometimes that can be quite dangerous um, and I do have some examples of births that I attended or women that were so anxious and frightened to have certain procedures done for example just because they heard from the people on Instagram or on social media no do not do this because it is very dangerous and I think it's good to have some caution towards some things definitely and especially if I look at other countries you know I would have the same caution and maybe skepticism as to why certain things need to be done but they are there for a reason you know we do need to do them in certain cases to get things going or to have better outcome for mom and baby and if you have such a big role of social media where things aren't that nuanced become quite dangerous but I think also very difficult for the midwives to sometimes it almost feels as though we need to defend ourselves and defend mm -hmm. our knowledge and yeah. our education and sometimes it's quite difficult to have a conversation knowing or thinking okay but I went to school for four years for this to study this I keep on studying and then someone comes along on Instagram says this and has such a huge impact on mm -hmm. Client, and that can be sometimes very frustrating. Mm. And then my second question is when you said that speaking of the birth plan, I don't know if you want to share, but is there one specific request that you remember very specifically or one thing that was very out of the ordinary or extraordinary in a nice and funny way or something that you said, oh my God, this is really cool. Or maybe even some wish that you saw and then you maybe incorporated in your in your practice from going on going on yeah so i do remember one request of a lady that specified her husband was not allowed to make jokes <laughs> and i just eva, eva are, are you are you did 
this is not my with my my midwife. <laughs> I remember it very clearly, and I was I was a bit taken. I was like, okay, this is very yeah. And, but do I need to? So if he does, do I need to say something? What do you want me to do in that? I was a bit confused, but also I had to laugh a bit when she left. It's like okay. <laughs> Did he make jokes in the delivery? I no, I don't remember. No, that's something I don't remember. But you know, people that do deliver with me, I think humor is a very good component in a delivery, and laughing is also very important. You know, of course, it's a very serious thing and a very eventful episode in people's lives. But I do think the mood sometimes can be a bit lightened because it's also a very happy and joyous moment, of course, happening. So I always try to incorporate some humor and some laughing and some jokes. So. The husband not allowed to make jokes did not stroke well with me. <laughs> okay, noted. I'm just I, I'm actually thinking back to when I was in labor. I actually kept getting sick, and so I kept just saying, "Can I get the mouthwash?" And I was washing my mouth out and apologizing to my midwives <laughs> because it was just I don't know why. And our, like my husband's like looking at me like, you know, really? Would you do you need mouthwash right this moment? And I'm like, yes, yes, I do. And I think it was like two or three times I had to do it. Yeah. Well, I would probably have made some kind of remark or some some remark to lighten the mood in that case in terms of the mouthwash. <laughs> Yeah, I d well, yeah. My midwife used the poop scoop, so you're good with the mouth with the mouth. But it's like they were at the other end of my body, and I'm thinking I have to wash my mouth out, and I'm thinking it made sense in that moment. Maybe it was me thinking, yeah. oh, I'm going to meet my child. I need fresh breath. I don't know. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, most logical moment of my life. Um, so we've covered the birth stories. We've covered, well, we've definitely covered the education and it's quite a lot more than actually my, either myself or Marin, I think, even anticipated, to be honest. One thing I think could be quite interesting for people is how do we choose Arvalos Kundaha? Could you like, you know, for me, I just went, who's nearest? There you go. That's mine. But other people are kind of like, oh, well, this person does this or I heard someone went to this. And so what would you recommend yourself? I think choosing the midwife that's nearest to you is the most logical thing to do. But since we're in Amsterdam, you know, there are so many practices all around you. So in that case, it comes down to, for example, is it practice where there are six midwives working, for example, or just three midwives working? Or do they also offer the contraceptive care for postpartum, for example? Or do I want a caseload midwife, for example? Do I just want one to get to know my entire pregnancy, give birth with, and have for that postpartum trajectory as well. So I think in terms of quality and in terms of checkups, I think we're all the same, really. Here and there, there are some practices that offer different services, but you would have to pay for it as well. But for the practices, you don't have to pay extra. You would expect the same amount of care. So the one closest to you is the most logical one to choose. But then it comes down to maybe the size of the practice. 30 minutes per checkup or just 15 minutes, for example. Okay, well, I think hopefully that's going to answer a lot of people's questions out there because it is something that's frequently asked of how do you choose it? And yeah, I just thought, oh, I just went with location. And it's like, yep, yeah, done. If you go to the website, deverloskundige.nl, there you can also just type in your postal code and find the top 10, I think, closest midwives to you. And then you can just check their websites to see which 
suits you, which fits best. That's a good tip. Thank you. Myron, any other questions? Oh, tons. But I think for this episode, I'm good. But this was great. Thank you so, so much, Chandel. This was so informative. I have learned so, so much. I have laughed so much. So definitely I can see the humor factor in your work. And this was just also your personality. And it was such a lovely chat. And it was so nice of you to take the time especially after i think eva said you're coming from a 24-hour shift right now that makes it even more special so we were your quick delivery hopefully that was a, that was a quick one definitely no it was a real joy and i was very happy when you guys reached out because there are so many international families and expats in amsterdam at the moment you know most of the time i'm, I'm talking english at my practice and i have to switch when i suddenly have to speak dutch i mean that's the the amount of expats that are here which I find very nice. But there's also a lot of misconceptions or people that are used to the midwife role in their country. And sometimes that's a nurse midwife, for example, and they have a certain image. How can you guide my pregnancy? Or how can you be the, the, the only one I see? Where do I see the gynecologist? And in other countries, the gynecologist is such a, a big part of pregnancy and birth. So it is nice to come on here and clear up some things and just explain our role a little bit better. I think it's very important as well. A bit more faith profession. <laughs> yeah, I think yes. you've done a very great job explaining and giving us some more in-depth knowledge into it. And so hopefully anyone who actually goes to you in the future will be like, well, actually, I heard from Dan Parenting and that's where I learned. You're the funny one. Who knows? <laughs> yes. Well, thank okay. you so much, Chandel. We'll leave it at here for this episode, but we have tons of other questions. And so I'm sure maybe we'll have you back if you want to. Yeah, for now, thank you so, so much for your time and then enjoy your deserved break now thank you so much and good luck with the other episodes that was quite in-depth look at the Verlos Kuntige, their training, their specialization, the opportunities. And I think it's kind of given a lot more people maybe clarity on what to expect and even choose your Verlos Kuntige, thankfully. Yeah. And yeah, like I said in the intro already, I was so blown away by this whole process how you can't just apply and then yeah yeah you can take the course you can be a midwife but it's a real selection process and you really have to be the person for this job and I don't know if any other profession where they really screen you for your personality and the fit for the job when the education is fact based and medical based they say well yeah sure you can learn all this but then I thought it was really great and has given me a whole different perspective on the midwives I mean I've always been a huge fan of the whole system here and I love being in the care of a midwife but now knowing all the steps of the education or even how to get in has given me a whole different enlightenment about this yeah um, more respect as well I think and I think this is very important for us to start this series because once you get pregnant you don't know what you're getting into it's a brand new country brand new culture whatever so it was really important for us to start this so you know what their background is what their training is where they're coming from so you can kind of go in empowered knowing you're going to be in safe hands at the end of the day if it's not clicking you know i mean you can always swap to another verlos contra always know that but at the end of the day they're all trained they're all you know specially selected technically so yeah, yeah. literally not just technically <laughs> literally they were selected, handpicked and 
when I see and when I heard these small numbers, how great is this being in a course with only 60 people? If I think back to my university rooms where there were 100, 200 people, and then of course I had smaller courses, but only 60 people in the whole course, I mean, that's pretty special. So you really know that they're also getting the attention from the teachers that they need because it's of course, a different ball game if you have 60 people to train or if you have 200 people to train. Yeah. We're super thankful to Chandel for giving us uh, her time. She is a Verlos Kunder, as she said, in a practice over in East called Nova. And she's just been so warm and so open and so supportive of this, of us, even damn parenting. I mean, she's actually been listening to all the episodes already. She's following us on her Instagram. You know, she's given us shout outs. And I know uh, some of her practice partners also are very happy with what we're doing here because they do truly believe to empower the families coming to the Velasconderhood that they know what to expect. They truly believe in this because they want you to enjoy your period with them as well. You know, they want you to come in and feel like you can trust them and that you're going to enjoy the process of being pregnant and them attending to you and your needs. And also what Chandel mentioned is that most of the clients that she works with are actually expats. So maybe then this practice might be one that you might want to check out when you're looking for someone specifically who is experienced with working with expats, who you've heard her English is stellar, so you don't need to worry about that. And because I know that there's certain practices that always pop up when you type in expat or international and are always recommended. So I really want to give this practice a shout out because they are a little bit out of the way. However, I think it would be worth checking them out. And if you can manage to get to Eiberg, I know it's a little schlep, but yeah, maybe it's worth checking out and maybe you can be in Chandel's humorous care. <laughs> She's so warm and loving and really so funny. So yeah, just to keep this on your radar when you're looking for Loskundige with the emphasis on working with expats, then this might be a practice that you want to check out. We'll put this, of course, in the show notes. And with that, this is your little advertising part. As always, you know this from me. Please share, subscribe, and like the podcast. That really helps us grow and makes us able to interview many, many more professionals and many more people like Chandel and make them want to come on this podcast to provide all the information that you need going through your pregnancy and your parenthood journey. Every Wednesday, there is a new episode coming out. So make sure that you click the bell on your Spotify so you get a notification when we are are coming into your ears with new topic, more education around pregnancy and giving birth in the Netherlands and becoming a parent. Don't forget, this is the first part of the Velaskundige series, where we will be speaking to various Velaskundige from around Amsterdam and the Netherlands. We'll be chatting to them to find out what makes them special and even right for you. They'll be able to share maybe a language that they might have. They'll be able to share a cultural background. There'll be something there that will make you feel, hey, this is the one for me. And check them out to make you feel comfortable and enjoy your pregnancy journey and your birthing experience. For now, we'll say thank you. Bye. Bye.